0: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And they say that brevity is the soul of wit. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I believe it is, and I do know that brevity is certainly a key component in getting a laugh. Because the fewer words you use, the faster you can get to a concept, the better your chances are that the listener audience, reader, whoever, is going to be able to pick up on it and get the joke and get the laugh. If they have to wade through a sea of verbiage, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. So you're always trying to find a, a way of shortening that speech. And is there a couple of words that you can get out of that joke line And so that's what this episode is going to be about. I call it the 10-second rule. And uh, before I do that, I'll tell you a story. And this was when my daughter Annie was in high school, and she wanted to join the um, theater group. And you had to audition. You had to do a monologue from a play. And your monologue... Could only be like two and a half minutes. So Annie wanted to do a monologue from Plaza Suite, the Neil Simon play. It was a, that last episode, the uh, thing about the wedding, and there is a very funny long speech that the bride gives. I think it was Joan Cusack in the movie, but whatever it is. So I timed. Annie's monologue and it came out to be like 3:15. And I said, "Okay, give me the speech." And I went through and I thought, "I bet you I can find some trims. I bet you I can find some repetition." And again, this is Neil Simon, okay? So this is this is God. I'm rewriting here. It's like how many people rewrite Neil Simon? And I may get an angry letter from his his foundation, uh if somebody hears about this. But for the purpose of this audition, I cut it down, and Annie did the new version and got it in under two minutes and 30 seconds, and she auditioned with that, and she got into the Brentwood Theater Company. Congratulations. But again, even Neil Simon, you can find ways of trimming large speeches. And when my partner and I write a script, whenever we have a what we think is like our last draft, we will go back and anytime there is a big speech, we will find some way of trimming it. And so far in (laughs) years of writing for television and the theater and the screen, we have never come upon a long speech that we have written that we were able to say, oh, "Up, you, you just can't change word. It's like you need every single syllable in this speech. No, there's always stuff you can trim. There's always stuff you can trim. So with that in mind, let me talk about my 10-second rule. And I guess the best way to intro this is to say that Some of the best training that I ever got in television, I got from radio. Now, I come from an age long, long ago when there was a thing called radio. Radio stations would play music, and they would provide hosts to introduce the songs. And these hosts were called disc jockeys. And here's the amazing thing. People actually... Listened, Not just the few people who don't have Spotify or satellite radio. I mean, everybody listened to the radio, and you listened to the disc jockey. Every city usually had about two or three stations that were competing for the young audience. And so there was really heavy competition. And every station played the same music. So it was the promotions, was how loud, how different, how interesting your station could be. And so personalities were really valued. You listened to and loved personalities. And it's amazing when I think back, and again, okay, Boomer, But, you know, back in my day, you know, there would be some discussion. I don't know whether I'm a Democrat or a Republican, uh, whether I'm a conservative or a liberal. But you sure knew which of the two or three radio stations in your market you were a fan of. You know, it was just an absolute part of your life. I'm gonna go off on a tangent here for a a second about Top Forty Radio. Do you know how it got the name Top 40? Well, the legend goes, and I'm gonna get into the comedy, believe me I will, but a legend goes that a Kansas City station owned by a gentleman named Todd Stores, well, Todd was in a bar one night and he was with a bunch of people. He was hearing the same songs on the jukebox because customers would come in and customers would come out and as they would circulate in and out, uh, they would be playing their favorite songs. And so you heard the same songs over and over again. And then an interesting thing, when the bar was closing... And Todd and whoever he was with were still in the middle of their conversation. So they were like hanging back. And now the waitresses are putting the chairs on the tables and getting ready to leave. And the waitresses and the bartenders are going up to the jukebox. And they're putting in their dimes. And they're selecting the same songs that had been played all night long. And that's when Todd Storrs got the idea like, whoa, you want to have a successful radio station? Just play the same songs over and over and over. And since at the time, disc jockeys worked four-hour shifts and each disc jockey played about 10 records an hour, they arbitrarily called it the top 40 and then in later years other stations uh, reduced it to 30 and at one time WABC the big station in New York well they would play the top five records every 70 minutes oh my god and imagine when Hey Jude was the number one record oh yeah just just Hearing it uh, makes my head explode. Anyway, there was a lot of personality, but there was also a lot of just drivel. Disc jockeys just going on and on about nothing. And then in the mid-60s, there were a couple of radio visionaries, Bill Drake and Ron Jacobs, and they realized that 80% of the time, DJs were just spewing nonsense. So they created a format that really restricted the disc jockey chatter. Music was the key element of that formula, and disc jockeys had to limit their rap from endless two and a half, three minutes between records to however long the song intros were. And back then, they were usually between like 8 and 15 seconds. So that's how long a DJ had to talk. And here's the thing that might surprise you. 15 seconds is an eternity. A skilled disc jockey can say the call letters, his name, the time, song title, artist, and still get in a one-liner without speaking all that fast. I mean, think about it. 15 seconds is a long time. And I'm going to prove it to you because I am going to say start and then I'm going to let 15 seconds go by. Ready? Start. Not yet. Not yet. Now, that's 15 seconds. Yeah, it's enough time to actually get in a thought or two. And so funny disc jockeys had to really adapt and tailor their humor to the new format. And some became masters at it. Robert W. Morgan... Uh, was one. Dan Ingram in New York, Dale Dorman, Gary Burbank, uh, just to name a few. But there were a number of disc jockeys who really were able to master that. And by the 1970s, when I joined the ranks of the hit spinners, uh, the restricted format was pretty much now the norm. Okay, there were not uh, disc jockeys honking horns and uh having bubbling cauldrons and nonsense like that. So I got into radio and since I don't have the typical James Earl Jones voice, I felt compelled to compensate by trying to be as funny and as entertaining as I possibly could be. Now you talk about brevity boot camp. <laughs> Because after a few years of this, and ignoring the program director's memos that were saying, "Yeah, shut up, just play the records, you're not funny, I was able to develop what I felt was a pretty amusing act. I- ironically, once I got out of radio and became a TV writer, and I was still doing weekends on station in San Diego, B-100 for a couple of years, and then 10Q in Los Angeles. And at the time I was on 10Q, I was also the head writer of MASH. And now, all of a sudden, people are saying, listen to this guy, he's just a comic genius. This guy's amazing. Yeah, well, I'm doing the exact same crap that I did back in the days when you thought I was horseshit. So, like I always say, the only way I got respect in radio was to get out of radio. But when you only have 10 seconds, you must select absolutely the right words and the right number of words and put them in the right order. The punchline has to come right before the vocal or right at the 10-second mark. And you also learn delivery. You learn that you can't rush your one-liner. I mean, if you have a a one-liner that takes 15 seconds, but you say it real fast and you cram it into 10, so what? Because the audience isn't going to be able to track what you're saying. So that that doesn't really work. You have to be able to hear it clearly in order to laugh. And here's something else that you need to consider. Pauses. Pauses are effective. If you've got 10 seconds, it doesn't mean you have to talk for 10 straight seconds. You can talk for 4 or 5 seconds and then to emphasize something, you pause. You change your delivery a little bit. So all of these are factors and all of these are things that I learned how to do in radio. Now, unfortunately, radio, as I knew it, no longer exists. Back in, back in my day, back in the Pleistocene era, Young disc jockeys would start out by working weekends in Bakersfield or El Centro or Walla Walla or Kalamazoo, whatever small town uh, had a radio station. Usually you're working like weekend all nights or Sunday morning from six to noon. You're making minimum wage, but You're getting in your reps. You're gaining experience. You are paying your dues. And you are learning. No one will ever hear me on my first radio station. And here's the irony. My first radio station was KERN Kern in Bakersfield. And I guess I was... Very funny, but my delivery was awful. And again, it was my first station, so I was very nervous and very raw. And ratings came out once a year. Only one time during the calendar year was Bakersfield rated, like the April, May thing. And then it came out in end of June. And I had been at the station for a year and I was doing Saturday nights and Sunday afternoons. And the middle of June I left the station because I got a job as a summer engineer at K B C and KLOS in Los Angeles that was a union job and paid big money and I didn't have to drive over to Bakersfield every single weekend for minimum wage. So I quit the station. Then the ratings came out. And I got a 49 share. (laughs) A 49 share. And then they're calling me like every three days, come back, come back, come back. But yeah, I got a 49 share and I had made a couple of tapes from those days. I was terrible. What the fuck were they listening to? I was absolutely terrible, but I guess I was funny, and uh, I cut my teeth in Bakersfield and learned the 10-second rule. So when you're writing a joke or you're writing a speech, go back. Find out whether or not you can trim a couple of words you can move things around a little bit and make it faster and sharper and I have to say for me it's new training when I got involved in cartooning and the single panel cartoons that you submit to the New Yorker and like everything else the fewer words in your caption, the better. And that has been a a big help to me because going in, that's, that's been in my mind. And I'll end by saying one other thing, another example, another story. I had written a screenplay. This was in the mid to late 90s, I'd written a screenplay and there was an organization in New York that was holding screenplay readings every Monday night. People submitted their screenplays and they would select one a week. And it was held in a cafe and you had an audience down in the village And they had a casting director help you put together a cast for your movie if your movie was selected. So they selected my screenplay. And they said to me, we have a guy who will go through and trim stage directions. And I thought, wait, I don't want anybody touching my screenplay. They said, no, 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 it's up to you. You can use as much or as little of what this guy suggests. But since screenplays are generally heavy on stage direction because you're describing a lot of the visuals and movies are visual art, it tends to have a lot of uh, stage direction and it kind of helps to thin it down. Now, I always prided myself on my brevity in stage direction. So I said, okay, let him have at it. And I figured he's going to go through it and go, wow, this is good. This is fine. This is great. Well, a few weeks later, I get the script back. Oh, my God. It looked like one of those redacted documents that you see from time to time on the news, page after page, it's like blocks are just in black Sharpie, just blacked out, blacked out, blacked out. When I first saw it, I was like, what the fuck? And then I then I went through it page by page. And and, and I'm like, um, okay, yeah, I see that, yeah, no, he's probably right there, okay, yeah. Long story short, I ended up using all of his cuts, his suggested cuts, and again, that was an eye-opener, and it, It taught me a lot because I thought, I thought I was being judicious in my stage direction. Turns out I was not. And you probably are not either. So go back through and really cut down stage direction, cut down big speeches, cut down punchlines. Just make the script as sharp as you possibly can. And with that, I'm going to cut down this podcast. Okay, Instead of being 30 minutes of me just prattling on, it's only going to be like 23 or 24. So uh, that is advice for this week. Now, better advice comes next week. My guess is going to be Robin Schiff. And Robin has written a paper with suggestions for writers. It's it's gold. And so Robin and I are going to go through her little treatise and great, great suggestions for writers. It's, you know, the mindset and how to get going and really, really good stuff. But that's next week. Our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, Bruce and Jason Miller, also to John Wolfert. And if you want to get in touch with me, my email address is hollywoodlevine at Outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at Outlook.com. I am on Twitter. Oh, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I don't know why I keep saying that. Um, I am happily not on Twitter, nor am I on X. I am on Facebook, and I am on Instagram. And if you want to see my cartoons and my brief captions, uh, you can go to Hollywood and Levine. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week right here on Hollywood and Levine.